Welcome to Missionary Roundtable with your host, Kale Horvath. Welcome back to Missionary Roundtable, the podcast that's all about the Great Commission and international missions and talking about strategy and practical ways that we can all seek to obey God in the Great Commission that he has given us. This summer uh, is season two of Missionary Roundtable. If you haven't listened to season one yet, make sure you go back and listen to that. We aired that season last year in the summer of 2020, and now this is season two, and we are continuing to talk to pastors and missionaries uh, about different facets and strategies of the Great Commission. And uh, this is a blast for me just because I'm getting to pick the brain of so many uh, awesome men of God who have done what they do much longer than I have. And so you guys just get to hear uh, everything that I'm gleaning and all the things that I'm soaking up from these guys. And today I'm so excited to have my friend, Pastor Randy Foster on the episode. Uh, Randy is a pastor at Heartland Baptist Fellowship in Harrisonville, Missouri, alongside lead pastor Brian Hedges. He's been there for about 13 years and uh, he does many things there. He wears many hats as uh, as many pastors do, but uh, among the those would be, uh, uh, he leads the missions there and he leads Bible publishing, which we will talk about in a little bit. Um, and he was also formerly a missionary to Zambia for several years and even spent some time in Belarus. And, uh, I'm very excited to talk to him about his missionary experience, uh, what they do at Heartland Baptist Fellowship in regards to missions. Uh, but another thing, Randy, um, that I am so proud to call you a friend and, and really you're, you're a hero to me and so many other people, um, as you've been, uh, fighting brain cancer now for, um, for what seems like a, a very long time. And so, mm-hmm. uh, you're just a, just a very strong man and a very, um, faithful servant of the Lord. And for that, I say, thank you. And thank you for being willing to be on this little podcast. I really appreciate it. Well, I, I do appreciate, Kale, that you even even thought about it, inviting me because I, I don't feel like I st- I uh, meet up with what you, how you described me, but it, <laughs> but I do consider you a friend too, and a, a fellow missionary and a servant of the Lord, and and so you know our hearts are knit for the same purpose, and I and I've always appreciated that about you. When I when I first met you and found out that you were going to Hungary, and I was I was I was a little bit jealous. <laughs> to be honest with you, I mean, every that? time I find out, well, because I'm not on, I'm not on the mission field anymore. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think where God has me right now is, is a, uh, it's a blessing. It really is, but I still miss the mission field, mm-hmm. serving on the mission field, being in, a, in another country, seeing God work, doing the things that he does. Uh, it's, so I'm actually jealous of every missionary that goes. Just the heart of a missionary. You, you can't turn that off. No, you can't. You really can't. Man. That's awesome. Um, well, let's just uh, let's let the audience meet you a little bit here. So um, let, let's let's start. Let's go back in time, and and we can kind of work okay. more towards the present. Because I do want to ask you later, maybe towards the end of the episode, about uh, um, you know what God has been teaching you in in your fight with brain cancer. I'd love. I haven't even gotten a chance to speak with you about that, so I'd love to hear that. But let's just start with the, this topic of missions. Um, you were a missionary in Zambia. Uh, what got you to that point? How did God lead you to moving you and your wife and your family? I'm not sure. Uh, did, did your, yeah, well, me and my wife, uh, okay. my, my two sons were grown and, uh, okay. on, on at that time. Um, 
it, it really is an amazing walk with the Lord to see him move in our life to accomplish his, his plan for my life. And I'm just kind of going along for the ride. Uh, I, I will say that Africa was never on my radar. Hmm. Uh, going to, going to Zambia. I didn't know, I didn't know anything about Zambia. You know, I just knew that Africa wasn't my heart. I had the opportunity in, uh, 2001 to, to meet a missionary who was in Belarus. He had been there for many years. He was, he was very fluent in the language and he, he was just a dynamic guy. And he invited our church to bring a team of people to come and, and do evangelistic outreach in these, in the country of, of Belarus. He actually had a plan to distribute a million John and Romans wow. over the course of the summer. And, and then he needed some people to come in and help establish Bible studies. And the goal was each of those Bible studies would eventually uh, birth a church. Hmm. And, uh, and so I wanted to be a part of that right away because the church that I was attending, Kansas City Baptist Temple, um, I just took for what they said and not from the pulpit uh, at face value <clears throat> when they just encouraged you to serve the Lord, you know, trust him, follow what he says, you know, believe the Bible. And, uh, and so they took, they always were going on mission trips. Uh, I had an opportunity to go to El Salvador as the first mission trip that I went on. I went on quite a few since that time, but, um, it, it really opened my eyes to how God works the same, no matter where you're at. If you don't mind me asking, how old were you, um, when God started working in your heart about missions and, and how long had you been walking with the Lord at that point? I got saved in uh, 1991, so I was about 32 years old mm -hmm. when I got saved. And um, so uh, I went through our discipleship uh, ministry, got discipled, went through discipleship too. I uh, had a chance to go, actually, my first, I said my first one was El Salvador. My first trip was actually to to Alaska. Wow. And uh, and had a chance to go and teach the philosophy of discipleship. To, I think we were in about five different churches over the course mm -hmm. of several weeks. And uh, I came home and I'm like, okay, good guy, what do you have me do now? What, I mean, I've, I, I was kind of arrogant with God a little bit. I've done this, I've done that, I've done that. I've checked off everything. Now what, Lord? <laughs> and all he, all he could say, all he did say to me was tell people about me. Mm -hmm. Tell people about me. And I said, well, I guess I need, I need to go and get some more training. So I went to Shepherd School of Ministry at our church. It was a four-year program. And, um, and I just... I just fell in love with this, the opportunity to serve the Lord at that time. I was leading a ministry. It was an evangelistic ministry at the church. Um, we called it Gospel in the Stars. And uh, it was a band of us had a bunch of telescopes, and we would set up telescopes any place in the city we had a chance and invite people to look at God's creation and then tell them about Christ. And we saw people get saved all that the time. That is so creative. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, and you know, I didn't know anything about astronomy. I didn't know. I mean, I, I knew the sun, the moon, and stars. That that was my yeah. link. Yeah, and stuff. you're just using using the the general revelation of creation to be like, exactly. hey, look at that! Isn't that cool? Do you think that all just happened? <laughs> I'm we assuming probably did. I don't know how many how many different what we call star parties we did <laughs> uh, in the course of five years, but we did a lot, especially oh, in the summer. That's cool. And, uh, and that so so that got my heart to serving the Lord, and then. I just had to, I, I, I don't know, God just put a passion in my heart to teach, I guess, through that ministry, because I was always presenting mm -hmm. kind of a, a, doing a presentation, not so much a sermon, but a presentation, you know, and then put God in the middle of all of that. And so God just gave me the heart to want to teach and preach. And 
And so uh, I had the opportunity to, to do this. And uh, then um, the chance to go to Belarus came up. And so I, I talked to that missionary and I said, I can come, I can, get, I can commit three months right now. And so me and my wife, we, we left our jobs. Uh, actually, that's a whole story I won't get into <laughs> right now, but I got my job back when I came back. Um, but uh, we, left our, we left our employment and uh, we went to Belarus. So and, you were in uh, your we spent mid, every... mid to late thirties at that point. Well, let's see. That in was Belarus. Yeah, probably around forty. Okay. Okay. Around forty, give or take. I don't mm-hmm. remember exactly. I know it was two thousand and one when we went, um, and I had been saved about nine years at mm-hmm. that time. And uh, and our job there was to we we were assigned a village, uh, the village of uh, uh, Podporozhye. And, uh, and we were, we were, I don't know how many people are in this village, but our job was to take the train to that village every day and knock on doors mm-hmm. and get a Bible study started. And that's what we did. And, uh, unfortunately, um, our time ended and I, I kind of turned the work over to uh, a national and, uh, I, I don't know if it, the church ever got started there or not, but, um, we, I did, I did learn a lot about being on the field and I desired so badly to go back to Zamb- uh, to Belarus and the Lord kept closing the door. Mm. And then my missions pastor said, why don't you go to Africa? Mm. And I got a little bit argumentative with him. I said, Mark, I don't have any desire to go to Africa. <laughs> he said, you need to go. I'm like, okay, well, they did teach me to listen to my leaders. So <laughs> I said, okay, I'll go. And I went and it didn't take 48 hours before God captured my heart for Zambia. Wow. And, uh, and I came home and I was trying to, trying to play it cool. I said, Julie, we probably ought to go check it out. And, you know, it's really good. I had a good time. Uh, and then six months later, I took Julie to Zambia and I said, I need you to see the field. We need to see what's going on, see how the work would, would handle, how we would handle the work and living there and everything. And so, um, probably a month later, we surrendered to, to go ask our mm-hmm. church to send us and they did. And, so it was probably less than a year we were out in the field. We had uh-huh. our support raised. God, God raised all of our support in less than a year. Mm. And uh, it's just incredible. Amazing. And so we went to Zambia, and we, we were there for almost four years. Mm-hmm. And uh, what were you doing while you were there primarily? Because I know there's a lot of different ministries and outreaches in, in Africa. Yeah. I know Zambia is just a small country in Africa. But when you think African missions, that's there's a whole range of things that are being done over there. Yeah, even even within even within the the ministry that we were there. Now I was I, w- I, w- I stepped into a ministry. I didn't I didn't start this from scratch. But there was a missionary on the field that had been there for I think fifteen to twenty years, and he had uh, his he was very ill. He, he was he he came down with malaria a lot, Oof. and he and his doctor suggested he needed to come off the field to stay in the United States. Um, I think he obeyed about 50% of the time of that. But um, so I actually was kind of not his replacement, but to fill in for him. Mm-hmm. I, I would never consider him a replacement. His name was Bobby Bonner. Oh, and, okay. Uh, yeah, I, I've met Bobby Bonner. Yeah. Yeah. So, so uh, uh, you know, that's, that was the first time I had ever met Bobby uh, was when I went there the first time by myself. Uh, I was in Zambia for five days and, um, you know, Bobby told me everything that I needed to know about the ministry, but I got to, I got to, to meet and to fall in love with the people, mm. um, their, their heart for the word and their heart for, for, uh, uh, the Lord. And, 
and I, I could just see what was going on and I needed, I knew I needed to be there. And so we committed to go and within the last, like I said, less than a year of our commitment to go, we were, hmm. we were standing in Zambia and our, my, my, I, I was given the responsibility of, of overseeing the Bible Institute uh, where we were training nationals to be pastors. Mm. And then once a graduate, when we had a graduation in December every year, and we would take those men and help them plant a church, either back in their home village, if depending on where they came from, because we got people from all over the country, or we would, if they had a heart for going someplace, they wanted hey, God is leading me to go to the Northeastern part of the country or whatever. We would go and we would evangelize that area over several trips and then see his church get started and help him build that church up. Mm-hmm. And, uh, how, and so that's what. How important do you think it was, or how significant maybe is a better question, um, how significant were the short-term trips that you did prior to going to the field in um, impacting your heart and uh, with the burden uh, for international missions, especially that three-month trip? Well, um, the three-month trip definitely showed me a lot of things, but every time I went on a trip, most of them were, you know, a week to 10, 12 days Mm -hmm. um, in different countries and or different locations. Um, They're vital to any, any Christian walk. If you, if a Christian wants to grow, they need to go on a trip. And uh, that's the, one of the first things that I encourage our people to do uh, here at HBF is, is, Let's find a let's find a trip that you can that you can get in on and and be a part of that so you can see God work. As what I want people to recognize, and I, I did run into this, and I've run into it several times when I've been in in another country. Uh, the claim that well, the God that you're presenting is an American God or something like that, and I want people to see that that's not true. He is the God of the universe, not just the God of America, and He is the Creator and and. And he moves in people's lives and accomplishes things that, that you need to see him working. You need to see God work. And, uh, and it's better for people to disconnect from their, their routine, their weekly, date, monthly routine, disconnect from that, get away from their home life and get someplace where they're, they're challenged, they're stretched. Maybe they're scared and, and they, they have to learn how to le- lean on God mm. and, and uh, so I think a trip is a trip is valuable. It's well, it's important. I wouldn't let it. I wouldn't let anybody leave our church as a missionary that had not been on a mission mm. trip someplace. How um how does it affect the person's heart? Because I I feel like a lot of people, if they've never been on a mission trip before, and their pastor is telling them, "Hey, you you should think about this." I feel like sometimes they're thinking like, "Well." Number one, either I don't have anything to offer or why do you need me to go? What do you need me to do for them? And it, it, I think most pastors, they're looking at it from the completely opposite angle. It's like, no, 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 this is, you need to go for what it will do for you. Yeah, you'll help a little bit, of course, but God's going to do something way greater in you than you will do, do over there. Yeah, and most people don't really understand when I say something like that to them, if they've never been or if they've if they're if they've never really seen God work in their life, then they're not going to understand what that means. Uh, so you kind of have to do both sides, though, as you said. You kind of have to make sure that they understand that God's going to move in your life, and you need to see God. Number one, number two, you need to you need to know that you're that you can help. You can help people in another country. You, uh, 
wherever that, whatever, whatever it is, whether it's, if it's a construction trip, you know, we kind of call it, uh, uh, I think when we have them in different levels. And so a level one type of a trip would be generally not out of the country yet, um, but it, more of a construction trip. Like I took a team to Nepal in 2015 and it wasn't any Bible teaching or anything. It was, we went because of the earthquake and we took, wow. I took a team over there to, uh, to build shelters in, in the mountains in the village, just so people had a place to get out of the weather because uh, winter was coming. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that's what we did. We built, I think we built 75 or 80 shelters, wow. in this little village in the, in the Himalayan mountains. And so, you know, that's a, I actually took two people that had never been on a mission trip uh, on that trip and it changed their life. Mm. So I try to tell people you need to go because you, you're, you have the skills that they need. Mm. So, um, let's go. And, uh, and they went and, and that's and what you guys, pastor Brian's told me this before. I love how you guys have it set up at your church. It, you just mentioned it like levels. So like that level yeah. one trip is more of a, like, what well, you explain it. I don't want to screw it up, but it's, it's something well, a, more le like a level one, a level one trip is typically, um, uh, someplace where you're going to put hands on something and, and either build or work or do something, but not um, direct like leadership. You're not, you're not, te you're not necessarily teaching. teaching. I mean, you might teach a devotion. I always want every person who goes on the trip is required to do a devotion to the, with the team. Okay. Just so that they're all teaching. Yeah. But, but, uh, a level one trip is, like an exposure um, trip, go go exposure see the Lord's trip, Get them on the get them on the field. Mm -hmm. Get them involved in letting, letting you know trusting God, and then uh, and just seeing how your your work is is going to be a blessing for the people there. And a level two trip is more of an evangelistic, or uh, maybe some some teaching where where we've done um, uh, men's conferences, women's conferences, marriage conferences, things like that. Mm -hmm. And then a level three would be where we're coming in and we're, we're teaching at a high level, trying to uh, invest in men who are pastors mm, or going like to pastoral be pastors. training, mm -hmm. pastoral training. Yeah. And so if you're going to uh, go we, on that trip, you need to have had some training yourself, of course. Yeah. We probably, I mean, you know, we might have people go on a trip like that, but it, maybe there's a sub a sub reason for it. You know, like part of the trip is going to be for, you know, teaching pastors and part of the trip is, is construction or something like that. Mm -hmm. And so we, we mix those things sometimes. And so we, we, we try to make every trip to be as available to everybody if possible. Oh, that's, but it just that's a good idea. What the missionary, you know, we try to help a missionary. So we have three ways that we support missions, you know, physically, financially, and, and, uh, prayerfully. And physically is, would be bringing a team, uh, to, to the field to work with a missionary, um, well, I always counsel everybody, this is not a vacation. Uh, you're there to work, so we're not going to get in the way of or cause a burden for the missionary. Mm -hmm. And um, now, when I was in Zambia, we probably had, in four years, we probably had 25 teams come. And most of them were really a blessing. But there was a couple that <laughs> just like, is it time to go to the airport yet? You know, but, It's uh, a lot of work for the missionary to host a team. It is a lot of work, yeah. yeah. Sure. But, uh, but yeah, our, our mission trips, um, they're, they're, they're most important And a church that doesn't do trips and doesn't take people on trips. They have just, they've lost a significant influence in a person's life. Hmm. 
and just, uh, people don't understand God what God working. is doing in the field. Yeah, mm. they need to see God work. Well, not just in the field, but they need to trust God. Where am I going to get the money? How am I going to get time away from work? Am I going to yeah, be able to get yeah. on a plane? Some people are just deathly afraid of flying in an airplane across mm. the ocean. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that there was a time when I was not the, you know, flying never was a great thing for me. Yeah, I still don't like it, Randy. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I do it a lot. I still don't like it. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I just want, I want people to, to trust God in that. I, one of the things that I do when I get a team ready to go about a month before everybody's already paid their money, everything's in, they're 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 committed. About a month before the the trip departs, I do what I call a security brief, and I do it then because I'm what I'm what I'm painting a picture of scares them. Yeah. I had one guy say, "If you had told me this a month ago, I wouldn't go on this trip." Well, you already <laughs> paid the money, right? That's what I told him. <laughs> You're going, uh, but uh, I don't. I don't. You know, I don't not necessarily to scare people right. but I, but, I, but I yeah do, that trust thing that's yeah. so important and man let, yeah let's talk about that for a second because i know even just a before we came to hungary leading teams to go to hungary um i would have people who were genuinely interested but they would they would talk themselves out of it or they try to and they, they would have some excuse and and many of them valid excuses like valid fears even um, maybe health concerns or worries about, uh, you know, they, maybe they're, they're a mom with four kids or something. And, and my, my go-to is just always, listen, you get to make the decision. I'm, I'm not the Holy spirit. You, you have to make the decision, but are you willing to trust God with that? Cause I think that is the issue that God it wants to work out is. in your life is, is, will you just learn to trust me? Because this is a new level of trust. You've learned to trust me to a certain point in your life, but you've never yeah. trusted me with this much now. Absolutely. It's definitely a stretch uh, to go on a trip. Um, for me personally, being in a different country or the opportunity to go to a different country never seemed foreign to me, the idea of that. I mean, I used to, when I was, my dad was in the military. Oh, so and you traveled we lived, a lot. We, we lived in Okinawa mm. uh, for two years when I was a kid. Wow. Uh, that, you know, never bothered me. Um <clears throat> I I didn't make it to Germany when uh, my dad went got transferred transferred to Germany. By then I was already in the service myself. And, <laughs> uh, so you know I traveled a lot even in that. But yeah. uh, but some people have you know never left the county they live in, and they sure. get uh, you know they going someplace outside the county is fear is mm-hmm. fearful for them. So yeah, uh, but I I just want people to be stretched, and I think a trip Amen. is a great way to stretch. Yeah. Yeah. Would. You- so I feel like some people who might be listening to this or let's say people who are 30 or 40 or even older, maybe they think when they hear about the short-term missions trips, they think, ah, that's for the younger kids. That's for the teens and the youth group. That's for the college age kids. I, I'm 30, I'm 40, I'm 50. I got kids. I got a career. I can't just pick up and go. Um, what do you have to say to those people? Because you went later in life. I did. Um, and, uh, and I would tell them the same thing. I would tell a young person, you got to let God work in your life. And there's, there's no different for the, the 30 year old or 50 year old. Uh, and I have had people on the team that is, that are in the, their fifties, uh, and pushing in their sixties. We had a lady in, in, uh, Zambia. She was, she came as she came to live for a couple of months. Um, and, uh, she, she's, uh, she's still a very dear friend of Julie's and she, my wife, and she lives here in Kansas city. Mm-hmm. And she was, she was, uh, 70 when wow. she came. And, uh, 
and so uh, she was she was just a, a blessing for everybody and you know she was blessed of course but i don't think there's an age limit that people need to be fearful of a, of a mission trip uh now physically there may be some limitations that are legitimate um and we try to work around those you know if if somebody has a uh uh, a problem with walking or standing because mission, you know, you do a lot of walking. Sure. And, uh, and so Africa is we'll, not an easy trip once, once you get older in age, for sure. No. Um, yeah. So we, you know, we try to accommodate that as best we can to make sure that they're taken care of, including health issues. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, I always encourage people to make sure that they, that they're in good health at the time that they're going and make sure that they have a, um, I make sure that there's some way that they can get medical care if necessary. Mm -hmm. Um, It's always, there's always been an opportunity. Like uh, we went to India several times with trips and Doug Pearson and his wife, Bethany were there. And of course, Bethany is a a nurse. And so, you know, we kind of had a a medical team with us all at all times Mm -hmm. and those kind of things, you know, that settles their their mind and makes them Mm -hmm. feel at ease. Mm -hmm. And so, but I try to encourage anybody to go on a trip. You know, as long as they are, if they feel like they're physically able to do what we're going to do, you know, we'll have a conversation about whatever that is. And then I'll mm-hmm. try to meet their needs as best I can, because I want everybody to go. Yeah. So you, um, you came back from the field, obviously you're, you're in the States now you're serving with pastor Brian, um, briefly, you know, go into it as much as you want to, but what led you back to the States and, and what is your role um at heartland baptist fellowship um specifically in regards to missions and you know what what is the role of a missions pastor would you think uh so my role as a missions pastor is to oversee uh several aspects of missions including our mission support uh relationships with our missionaries that we do support um uh deciding um not necessarily me but leading our pastoral team to make decisions about who we're going to support and who we're not going to support mm-hmm. organizing the, uh, our, our missions conference. We call it a vision conference. That's in April every year. And, uh, so kind of organize that, um, and then organizing the mission teams that are going to go out. I don't lead all the teams that go. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, so I try to coordinate those trips with the missionary and then turn it over to a leader who's going to end up leading that trip. Mm -hmm. So there's several aspects of being a missionary, being the missions pastor that I do. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm also one of the primary reasons that Brian brought me on board though, was because when I left Zambia, uh, he knew that I was uh, in charge of the Bible Institute there in Zambia and he wanted a Bible Institute at HBF. Mm -hmm. And so he brought me on pretty much specifically to start a Bible Institute at HBF. Awesome. Build it up, organize it, get it going. And so we just completed this week, well, Saturday will be the last day, uh, our 12th year of our Bible Institute. Wow. So it's been going along. We've had several graduates. We've had people on the field. We've got a church started in Clinton now from one of our graduates. That's right. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So it's, so it's going well. Amazing. Um, awesome. To answer your question about the reason that I left the field, um, it was just God made it very obvious that I was done there. Now, that again, I struggle with God not letting me go back to Belarus. And I struggle with God telling me it's time to come home. And some, you know, sometimes, um, 
it, it's a lesson for all of us that, that God will move in our life, and sometimes He moves in our life in a way that we don't appreciate. Hmm. We, don't, we don't like what He's doing. We don't, we don't agree with Him, and so we want to argue with God, and that's never a good thing because it's, it's, it's just difficult. I mean, he's gonna, it's His will that we're supposed to be serving, not our will. Amen. And that's what was happening. I love Zambia. I still love Zambia. I would go back. Uh, I took Brian finally in 2018. We went. I took him to a, to Zambia because I I didn't know if I'd ever get to go back again and had a chance. I got invited to to do what we call a resurrection conference, Easter Sunday type of conference. Mm. And so I said, Brian, you need to come. And so we we went. So that was great. And then of course. Like okay, the, the the passion of being in Zambia is flaming up again, and so, um, and so I want to go back again. In fact, I even emailed a missionary just last week and said I want to bring. Is it okay if we can bring a team? <laughs> so I'm waiting, and I'll lead that team. But, um, but it was just sure something that God. You you fulfilled what God asked you to do there, and yeah, I've always viewed serving the Lord, um, sort of. In, in the military concept where I get my orders, I get transferred, I go to a new, a new post and I serve wherever God wants me to serve. And I should be available for, to do that. I shouldn't tell God where I'm going to serve him. Mm. I shouldn't dictate to God. I can't go here. That's what I did when I, when I told my missions pastor, I don't want anything to do with Africa. <laughs> and then God says, I'm sorry, but you're going to Africa. And just to prove you're going to Africa, I'm going to get you there in a year. And, <laughs> Wow. And then when I'm, uh, I was, I was thoroughly convinced this is where God wanted me. I wanted me to be right here in this spot, in this location in Zambia. I was completely convinced of that. And then when he said, it's time to go home and I kept arguing with him, it's not time to go home. It's not time to go home. So God had to actually, um, make a way that I was, and I hate to say it this way because it'll sound bad, but I would, God, God forced me out of Zambia. Hmm. because I was arguing with God. He said, you're leaving. Hmm. And, uh, and I know that God brought me back to the United States for a reason, because he's had me at Heartland now for 14 years. And I've been doing basically what I was doing in Zambia. I'm doing in, in Heartland. Mm-hmm. God gave me a, a, a verse um, in Isaiah chapter 50, I believe it is, verse 4. Uh, he gave me this verse on the plane leaving Belarus and or I'm going there. I can't remember now. It might've been coming back because we went the first time for two days oh. uh, just to check it out. And then we went back uh, again for that three months. Mm-hmm. Uh, but on that trip coming on that short trip, God gave me the verse. He says, I given you the tongue of the learned that you might, and I don't remember the whole verse, but basically he says, you're going to teach, you're going to teach. And, uh, and so I, you know, that's what I thought I would be doing in, in Belarus. And, but that guy was like, no, this is where you get your heart. Now I'm going to put you in the field where I need you to teach. And that's what he did. He put me he in, the, in the Africa. Burden to in Belarus. Yeah. He gave me the burden in Belarus to be a missionary. He, I surrendered. to. I said, God, I never want to leave Belarus. <laughs> he said, well, I'm sorry. You're leaving Belarus. <laughs> and, and so and I had to come home at that point. So, I mean, that was a pre, pre-planned type of thing. Sure, so I came sure. Home. You, you had a return then, ticket. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then for a year, I'm argue, I argue with God about why can't I go back to Belarus? And so for a year, I struggled with that. And then when I finally got that settled and realized that it's not my will to be done, it's God's will. And so, um, so that settled it. And, I, and so I was here back in Kansas City for almost a year before I came to Heartland. Mm-hmm. 
And I just told Brian, because they were my, one of my supporting churches, and I told them all of them, I'm not going back to Africa. God's closed the door. Mm-hmm. He said, great, I need you here. <laughs> and it was that fast. Wow. And so I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll come. And then, so I'm doing everything that I was supposed to do and everything I did do in Zambia, I'm doing here. Mm. I teach, I, I train, uh, I develop programs to help people learn. Uh, I invest in people's lives, you know, all of those things. So there's nothing different. So God, God gave me uh, a field to serve, uh, gave me orders to serve in a location, then he moved me to another location, then he moved me to another location. Mm. And, uh, and so that's how I... If everybody, I think, would just see that that's that's just God just moving you. You can't yeah. argue with God. He's going to get his way, or it's going to be a rough life. Yeah, I think anyway. I may be misstepping for some people, but that's how that's how it happened with me. Mm-hmm. And uh, and He brought me home, and uh, and then it was a difficult time for that for that first period of time that I was back until I recognized that that I'm not done serving. I'm just done. I'm just done serving in Zambia. Yeah. Yeah. Same work, different place. Yeah. Same work, different place because it's the same God. Yeah. I I love that. I think some people, I don't know. I I don't know what people think, but I mean, I just, you know, once you're in ministry long enough, you just kind of know people. And unfortunately, you you know, carnality um, all too well. But uh, I think some people might think that, you know, the analogy of, you know, why why would you think about it militaristically, like being in the army? It's like, because that's the same picture God uses in the Bible about us serving him. That's, I mean, that that is so true. It's, I mean, we are called to be, you know, thou for, uh, thou, thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Exactly. Exactly. I take to the, the, the letters to Timothy. I, I tell people when I teach, when I teach Timothy, I say, change, just go up on that first page up there where it says, the epistle to Timothy, scratch out Timothy and write your name. <laughs> yeah. And every place you see Timothy, put your name in that spot. And, and that's I, God I talking love, to you, man. <laughs> that's God talking to you, absolutely. So That's good. Hey, I'd like to switch gears just a little bit because another awesome thing that you guys do at Heartland and uh, my sending and home church, uh, First Baptist in New Philly, um, has been able to play a little bit of role in that. Um, we, we love, I love personally what you guys are doing with Bible publishing. Um, mm-hmm. at Heartland. And I, I know that um, that rings a chord with some people just because it, it does have a little bit of the nostalgic feel of, uh, you know, back in the day, maybe in the 90s, you know, was really the heyday right. of Bible publishing in a lot of Baptist churches. Um, but even in today's digital world, you guys are, are, are continuing to uh, carry that torch forward. Why do you, just in your opinion, not even necessarily your church's mantra, but why do you think Bible publishing is so important to world evangelism and missions? Because I know you guys use that, not just, you know, you're, you're not just selling Bibles to people in Missouri. You're, you're shipping them all over the world. Yeah, actually. Yeah, that's, that's true. We try to ship Bibles uh, to a missionary anywhere, anywhere that, that we can. Uh, if, you know, and we do try to, you know, raise support and to cover the, the cost for the shipping, but um, we do send Bibles year round. Uh, we don't print our the Bibles here, but um, that that's a that's a step that we're looking for God to open up a door for us, the opportunity to do that. But um, right now, uh, we assemble them, so mm-hmm. uh, we have a glue binding machine, we have the trimmers, we have all of the stuff to. Once they're printed, then we process it, and uh, uh, I just think it's an, a neat thing to do to get the word of God out. And the reason we we do that, and I. 
I, I mean, I have my computer, I have iPads, iPhones, I have all kinds of stuff that have copies of the Bible on them. And in fact, I think, I think eSword, I think is audible. Yeah, I they think. just and made that update now. Yeah, you can you can audibly listen to your Bible on your phone, and and it's really funny because in Zambia, almost everybody had an iPhone, not an iPhone, but a, a cell phone. <laughs> Uh, and, uh, you know, they, they didn't have anything else, but they had phones and, you know, <laughs> yeah. but, uh, but the reason that I, uh, I, I want to stay away from digit digital versions of the Bible. There are several reasons. I give you a couple of them. First off, um, the Bible says handling the, the, the word of faith, handling mm-hmm. the Bible. So there's a, there, you, you got to handle it. You got to put the Bible in your hands. I have witnessed people receive a Bible and then they just kind of hold it up against their chest and they just hug it. And, uh, and they do that because they love the word of God. And and I, I love that. I love being able to give the Bible. So from, from the time that I was in Belarus, uh, and, um, in Zambia, we were always involved in distribution of, of the scripture. And so I've seen, I've, I've seen on that on both sides my church, the Kansas City Baptist Temple used to used to do the same type of thing. Once a year, they would do a Bible assembly project and ship them off. And so I saw that side. Then I saw the recipient side and the giving of the Bibles out. And I'm like, you know, I can't give out cell phones. Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, if I get a, if I could get a company that would give me, a, you know, 10,000 cell phones, I'd, I'd give them out. But that's the thing about a cell phone is people won't share their cell phone, <laughs> you know, so the bike, so I can, I can share the word of God yeah. with some, with one person and they will end up sharing that Bible with more than one person. Now you can, some people might argue, well, you can then send around and read the text to somebody and yeah, you can, but here, take this home tonight and read the Bible, you know, giving them a Bible. And so we, we assemble scripture. Uh, How many Bibles uh, do you guys do in a year? Give or take. Well, um, we did 25,000 uh, Chichewa New Testaments in April, in October of this past year. That was our Bible conference. Wow. That was the largest pro- single project we've ever done. Uh, but that, since Chichewa, that's from Malawi, yeah? It's Malawi and southern Zambia. Okay. Uh, that The, the Chichewa tribe, oh, they okay. spread across multiple countries. Mm-hmm. Um, but from, the, from October, well, the end of September up until today, we have produced almost 10,000, uh, what I call binds, which means the, whether it's a new Testament or a whole Bible or a John mm-hmm. and Roman, then have shipped them out. We've, we've done almost 10,000, uh, <laughs> since October. And that's completely volunteer based, not just volunteer based, but just your church, like your church members serving. Well, the majority of the people that are serving are, are our church members, but I actually, it's an amazing thing. I have people that are on the Bible team that are from seven different churches locally. Oh, wow. That's awesome. So, I mean, I just put the word out, hey, this is the project, this is what we're doing, and they show up. Uh, <laughs> now, we have a building behind our church that was built the originally. Armory. Yeah, I loved yeah, seeing yeah, that yeah. the last time I was there. Yeah, originally it was for storage, and so we were storing our Bible equipment, and, and then it was like, well, maybe we can make some Bibles. And so we've actually confiscated almost half of the square footage of the building now. And we do call it the armory. And the reason we call it the armory is because um, Jonathan in in first Samuel, I believe it is uh, he took his armor bearer 
and went up to see what he, what God would do with with the Philistines, and he made himself known. But the armor bearer, if you ever think about what the what, why would he have, to have an armor bearer? I mean, I'm sure that Jonathan had a sword in his hand. <laughs> sure, uh, right. but this is this is the reason why an armor bearer is there, to to when the warrior loses his sword, he can reach back to the armor bearer and get another sword, hmm. Hmm. and then he can continue the fight. Our job with Word First Bible Publishing is to be the armor bearer. When the armor bearer, the missionary, reaches back, I need, I need the sword. I need a weapon. We'll give them a Bible, and they can continue the fight. Oh man, that, praise that, God! That's our packing sword right there. That's awesome. And, and so, yeah, we do. Uh, we do. We so far we've done. Just since we've been doing it at Heartland, we've done Burmese, uh, French, um, Arabic, English, of course, Spanish, um, Chichewa. Uh, we've done Romanian, mm. um, and uh, and I probably don't remember all the languages, but wow. we do a lot of them. Um, so our goal is to just to be a a, a, a source for swords mm. for the for missionaries around the world. What does it do um, for the people? So obviously, man, you can go online and see videos of people in countries that didn't have the Bible in their language, and then you see them receive it, and it just breaks your heart. Um, but what does it even do just for the people in your church when you have a conference? And Because I know you guys have conferences specifically where you assemble Bibles as like yeah. the main thing. What, what does it do in the people as they're gathering together as a family to, to put their hands on the Word and assemble it for that purpose? Uh, they love it. They love, they love the assembly process. That's why, they, that's why we're doing it more than once a year now because they just want to get involved. They they love being able to pray over the word of God as they're assembling it because they know that somebody is going to get that Bible. And they, and so they, they, they're very careful with it. They, they take, they take it seriously that they're assembling a Bible and they want it. They, they're presenting the word of God to somebody that may never have seen it before in written form. Hmm. And uh, they want it to be as, 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 um, I hate to use the word perfect because we can't make something perfect, but the word of God is perfect, but we don't want to present it in a way that it, May somehow looks imperfect, mm -hmm. and so they 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 have a passion for it. They love operating the equipment, and they love the fellowship, and uh, and just just serving the Lord. They 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 know that that's what they should be doing, and so it's 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 a good it's a family effort, really. Mm -hmm. Does it does it provide like I don't know more unity? I may you know I'm sure your church is fairly unified around your vision, but does it? Does it just give a sense of uh, team building, even for your family building? Um, oh yeah, just gather you know, around we, to make the swords. It, it, I think it does provide uh, team building unifi unification, even within a family, because we we let we let little kids be involved in some way. We, in fact, I I kind of jokingly say that that they're the uh, um, the how did I describe it last year? They were. Um, you know the the uh, the mules. They would move. They would move material from one side of the building to the other. Yeah, yeah. And they love doing that. And uh, limitless you know, energy. It's perfect. The kids, the kids would compete amongst how many they could carry at a time, or how many. You know, if they were running a cart or whatever, and you know, transferring stuff something from one spot to the other. So the family, all the families, got some place that they can serve. You know. Mm. Um, you know, uh, whether it's uh, an older person, I mean, even older people, I mean, 
we have a lot of senior saints that just, you know, they can sit and they can, they can collate the Bibles. They can make sure the pages are in the right number order and that kind of stuff, what we call checking. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can do all of that stuff. And, uh, and so everybody has a, a, a way to be a part of the, of the assembly process. Hmm. That's awesome. Well, man, I, I thank you for what you guys are doing. Um, and, and I remember when I was a kid at our church, uh, way back in the nineties, they, they, we had a really big Bible publishing ministry and I, people still talk about it to this day and we haven't done it at our church physically in a long time. People still talk about it. So, um, I, I know that it, it means a lot to people and I know it means a lot to the people you guys are sending them to. Um, I want to ask you, so this, I wanted to leave sufficient time for this question, um, just because I'm genuinely personally interested in this. Um, you have been fighting brain cancer, uh, for a while now, if you wouldn't Mm -hmm. mind, um, would you share with us briefly about, you know, when that happened, what, what is it, what, you know, what have you been dealing with for this last year, but then what has God been teaching you? Because I, I have read some of your longer Facebook posts whenever you put them out occasionally, kind of like journal entries almost to let us on in Facebook yeah. land, see what you're going through. But what have you been fighting? What have you been dealing with and what has God taught you through it? So um, the brain cancer that I have is called glioblastoma uh, and it's uh, referred to as grade four. It's different. The grade four is different than what you t- people t- typically hear. I have I have some sort of a cancer and it's stage three or stage four or something. Mm-hmm. That's not the same thing as grade. When they're talking about grading, they're talking about just how um, uh, distorted the this, the the uh, cancer cells have become, and uh, the the more distorted they are, the worse, the more aggressive they are. So I have a grade four. Uh, glioblastoma. I had a tumor in the, in my left hemisphere of my head, um, behind the eye, not directly behind the eye, but in that, in that general area. Um, I had, so what happened was on September 30th, my wife and I were out at the park and we had, we had been trying to run, walk, kind of exercise stuff. And I had, we had just finished a, a four mile, uh, run, walk, and we were back at the car and we were stretching, getting ready to go. And I'm, and I'm hungry. I was going to go get something to eat. And, and then all of a sudden, under my chin, I felt a numbness. And thought, that's kind of weird. And then I felt it in my right forearm. And then I felt it in my left leg. Ooh. It was quenched like that. All, not continual, but just like, okay, something's weird. Mm-hmm. And so my immediate thought was, did I just have a stroke? Like a stroke or something. Sure. And so I asked Julie, how does my face look? You know, all of the symptoms that people tell you to, to observe. And so we decided, no, I don't think you had a stroke. So let's go get something to eat. Mm-hmm. And this is how God, moved. God, God just moves. And so I drove past the ch- hospital. The hospital was less than a mile away. I drove past the hospital to get up on the main road so we could go get something to eat. And I made a right-hand turn. And if you make a second right-hand turn immediately, you drop back down on the highway. And so God just kept my hand turned right. I went back down on the highway, had to go back to the next exit and come back to the hospital. <laughs> so he said, no, you're going, you're not eating. You're going to the hospital. <laughs> and so I walked in the door and I said, I think I might've had something go on. I got some numbness. And so they took me right away in. They said, yeah, you've had a stroke. You have a blunt uh-huh. brain bleed. I'm like, wow. Okay. Let's, okay. Not a big deal. Cause I'm walking, I'm talking. I'm, you know, so I made some minor stroke. And you said, and they, by the way, not to interrupt, but you said September, like not, not 2020, right? Was this. 2019. 2019. Wow. Okay. So it, it has been a while now. All right. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So, um, 
so anyway, um, they sent me to another hospital and, and, uh, the, they, the, the doctors kept coming in and saying, now, when did you have your stroke? And like, well, I just, yes, last night, because by now it's, it's the next morning. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, your scans look like you had your stroke a week or so ago. I'm like, no, it wasn't a week ago. They said, well, if that's the case, then you have a tumor. Oh. And I'm like, no, we don't talk that word. You know, so anyway, <laughs> so we, we went through all of this stuff with the doctors, and they finally confirmed that, I yes, you do have a tumor, and it does need to come out, and it needs to come out right now. Oh, man. And so on October 8th of 2019, I had my had surgery in uh, did a craniotomy where they opened up the side of my head and went in, took the tumor out, and uh, they got they got the majority of the tumor. But this is a weird cancer. Number one, it only it only it it originates in the brain and it only stays in the brain. It won't metastasize into another part of my body. Um, and it didn't come from another part of my body to go to the brain. Like a lot of people do have brain tumors or brain cancer, but it's coming from another part of the body. Mm-hmm. So mine originated in the brain. And um, uh, so they needed to get it out because, well, they got the tumor out. But the thing is now I've gone through chemo, I've gone through radiation, and now I'm, I'm wearing a device on my head. I wear it 24 hours a day. I call it an electronic chemo device. It puts an electrical field in my head that actually, um, when a cell's beginning to reproduce, it, if you recall you know, from science class, they, mm-hmm. the cells will kind of move to each, each side of the cell body. The cell will split. Mm-hmm. Then you have two cells. Well, in that splitting process, the electrical field disrupts the process of making that happen and both of those cells die. Mm. So, but this cancer is, uh, it's a molecular cancer, which is very unusual, meaning that we'll never know if all the cells are gone. If, you know, I mean, they took the tumor out and a lot of times when they take the tumor out, they say, okay, a couple of rounds of chemo, you're free to go. You're done. Right. Right. Just like nuke the last little bits and then. Yeah. Yeah. But for me, um, they will never know if the if the cancer is gone. Hmm. It, 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 I'll live with this cancer or the possibility of still having cancer for the rest of my life. So will you continue? And you're wearing the cap right now that does the electric yes, stuff. Um, will you continue yeah. wearing that for the rest of your life, or is it one of those things that well, maybe another I've year read or two? of people. I've read of people wearing them for as long as eight, eight years. Wow. Um, but my plan was I get an MRI scan every every two months approximately mm-hmm. to kind of check status. I just had my last one last week and it was a good scan. It did not show any progression mm-hmm. or any, any negative change. Oh, praise the Lord for that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so I'll probably wear this the rest of the, this year for sure. Mm-hmm. And then I may, I may go into next year for a little while, but eventually I'll stop wearing it. And, so it does seem to be working and, and doing what it's yeah. intended to do. Well, I think so. I, what I do think, what I do know is working, because this is the root of your question, is I know that God is working. Mm. I know that I know that prayer is being answered <clears throat> in many, many, many ways. Um, this is this is an aggressive tumor, and I shouldn't be here today. Mm. That's that's where I start with right there. So it's been about eight, 17, 18 months, um, and uh, I really shouldn't be here, but I'm still here. I'm basically healthy. Uh, I'm able to teach. I do have some short-term memory loss problems. Um, I sometimes don't sleep well. 
uh, I get tired sometimes, but, but I, I still, um, I'm serving the Lord. I'm doing what I need to do and he's letting me. And mm -hmm. so, um, I don't know how many people have been praying. I know I get, I get text messages or comments on Facebook from people that I don't even know that say we're praying for you. And I was like, thank God that somebody is praying because yeah. prayer, yeah. prayer means everything to me. Prayer means everything to, to Julie, my wife, because, um, you know, she's watching all of this and she's, she's my caretaker at home and she, she keeps track of all my medicine and all the doctor's appointments and all the things that they've said. I mean, she, you know, she just does a really good job of mm -hmm. doing all of that stuff. So, um, but I, I, as God has really, um, just proven himself. And one of the things that I, I ran into in January, uh, was in, if you've ever had chicken pox, um, you run the risk of having shingles later on. Mm. Um, it's, it's chicken pox, the virus chicken pox goes dormant in your, in your uh, spinal cord. And then if it gets, if it gets woken up, it takes the nearest spinal branch, follows that branch and then comes out on your skin someplace and just erupts into a, a really painful rash. Mm -hmm. uh, you can get a shot for that. And uh, so whoever's listening, you probably ought to consider getting a, a shingle shot. A shingle shot, yeah. <laughs> well, I got shingles in my left eye. Oh, my. Recently? And then, yeah, I'm still dealing with it. The pain is oh. around the eye, the eye socket and up up over my forehead. Oh, I'm sorry about um, that, Randy. So, so I deal with that a lot. And um, uh, so one of the things that I started doing, my personal prayer is – I just, um, God, help me to press as hard as I can into your hand. I want to feel your hand. I want to feel your touch. I want to press as hard as I can because I, that's the only way I can know that I can trust you and that, that I know that you're working, that I know that you're there, is if I can feel you. And that's, I'm not trying to be, you know, any kind of um, Pentecostal kind of thing or anything like that. It's just I, I just want to know that God is there. And so my prayer has been that. And and. When it comes to this pain, my prayer is just take the pain. When the pain flares up, just God, just press hard into you. I just need to press hard into you so that you can take the pain. And he generally does. And then I'm fine for the next day. And I mean, it keeps coming back because I have to keep coming to God, which is good. <laughs> because I don't ever want to get away from God. But that's something that I've, that I've just kind of thought about in my own mind is how do I how, how can I get closer to God? And the only way I can do that is to press hard into him. Mm. You know, John, when John was laying on the, on the, on the breast of Jesus Christ, uh, I'm sure he was pressing hard to listen to that heartbeat. Mm -hmm. and, and that's the same concept is I want to press hard to feel his touch, mm -hmm. to feel him taking care of my body. And, uh, and, and when I can feel him, I can trust him. And at least, I don't mean to say that in a bad way that if I can't feel him, I don't trust him. I trust him all the time, right? but it's kind of good. You know, it's kind of like when you get a hug from your wife, it's, mm -hmm. it's just, it just means something. Yeah. And so it's the same kind of a concept. And so that's really been helpful. Uh, it's been helpful for me to deal with, with all the other things that go on, the things that I'm wearing on my head. Uh, I got this cap on, so you can't see it, but it's like I'm wearing a, uh, a, a massive ace, not ace, a sticky bandage, uh, like a bandaid. Mm -hmm. And so after almost 15 months of wearing this thing, 
um, the skin has started to become very irritated. Uh, uh, and so there's pain from that. There's pain from the shingles. Um, so it's almost taken putting the cancer in the back seat of dealing with all of this stuff. And it's like, oh, yeah, I still do have cancer, mm. you know. And um, so you know, I have to keep track of all of those kind of things. But but God is good. The people that are they're praying for us are good. And uh, I just think so many I, I wish I could thank every single one of them I just don't know who they all are yeah. but I wrote those I wrote those Facebook posts um well first off those of the well without getting into a whole lot of detail I just want people to know that God did not he's not punishing me by giving me cancer and I'm not blaming God for having cancer mm. God I, I got cancer for one reason and that's because it's, it's a sinful world mm. and and so God can help me through all of this. And so I just want people to know that God is helping me through all of this. Mm. Amen. His strength is made perfect in weakness. <laughs> Amen. And it it's kind of seems um, backwards, but, you know, when people, if they feel that God is distant, um, I don't know, at least in my life, and, and I'm sure you felt the same way, when I go through a hard time, that's, if I, if I do what I'm supposed to do and seek him in the hard times, that's actually when God ends up being the closest to me in my life is whenever, yeah. because I'm actually intentionally seeking him. And, and if you draw nigh to him, he'll draw nigh to you. Um, yeah. So I'm sure that he's been as close to you in the last year and a half as maybe he's ever been. I Yeah. I think ultimately he has, it's probably, it's, it's just me not losing sight while I'm dealing with the pain mm-hmm. that God is still there. Mm. you know, cause, cause that's what happens is like, where's God? Why am I dealing with this? Well, I thought God was yeah. supposed to help me. You know, people want to blame God, right? but he's always present. He's always right there. Mm-hmm. So if I'm leaning hard into him, it's a reminder that he is that close to me and he always is. Amen. So, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, Randy, that was amazing. It's been an hour already, which is crazy. Cause it seems like it's wow. been about 10 minutes. Incredible. Um, that, that, that was an amazing conversation. Thank you so much. I I'm sure that whoever's listening to this was, uh, thankful just to be a fly on the wall. Um, I'm thankful as always just to hear you talk. Uh, I I love to hear your wisdom and, uh, it was encouraging to me too. So thank you so much for for being with me today. Well, thank you. And thank you for all the people that are listening and stuck it out to the end of this thing. And, (laughs) uh, I do pray for them and uh, that God uh, would, uh, show himself mighty in their life as well. And then and they would be able to serve the Lord at the, at the greatest capacity, whatever that is for them. Mm. And yeah. so I hope they all go on a mission trip eventually. Too. <laughs> yeah. Amen. Absolutely. Thank you. Wow. What a powerful story and testimony and, uh, and just advice and godly wisdom from a man of God who's been following the Lord for a long time. Um, I'm sure that you all were thankful for that, as am I. Um, Anytime I get to hear Randy talk, I I just listen um, because he's got so much godly wisdom and advice to say and... uh and uh and even just what he's learning and and how he is going through um his his journey and his battle with brain cancer um is so encouraging and edifying to me just to see his faith through it all um and how he's relying on the lord and pressing into it so um i hope you guys enjoyed that and i hope you'll join us again next week when we've got another guest on missionary roundtable see you next time god bless Thanks for listening. Please rate and subscribe and share us on social media. Also, please make sure to check out our other podcast, Theology Roundtable, at theologyroundtable.com.